Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back to another episode of 3 Plus 1 Podcast. What is it? Happy Christmas Eve? It's Merry Christmas Eve. And so, uh, <laughs> welcome, welcome back. So, we are definitely don't want to hold Javon too much. You said now you are, you have a rehearsal yeah. tonight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so, what are you working on? What, what, what is And for this? those who maybe missed yesterday, we are joined by two special guests. Yes, mm-hmm. our special guests today. And yesterday and tomorrow will be Javon Johnson of BET's The Oval. Groundbreaking (laughs) television program. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. You know, TP Studios. Stand up. You know. And we also have... Is it really called TP Studios? Well, that's what I'm calling it. Right. And so it's literally known as TPS. Tyler Perry Studios TPS. Yes. This is a hat from there. Abbreviation. Yeah. You know. He's been wearing it for two days. Yeah, I need to get that hat. I can wear the hat now. Usually I can. Yeah, because you have a whole I wear it, yeah. <laughs> and we also have with us the beautiful Sharon Brathwaite, producer, writer, actor, extraordinaire. Thank you. Yes, welcome, welcome. Let me, just you. Say, let me just say, because we talked on the last show about uh, the, the business and networking and relationships and all that. Oh, yeah. We're sitting, I mean, I'm sitting in the room right now with two actresses that I have employed. On my original content. Wow. Absolutely. So, <laughs> so just know that's how it works, man. You know, we, we, and as we grow in this business and we go to other levels, well, guess who go? The people that are with us rise with us. They go and, with you. So as you rise, you bring your absolutely. crew, you bring and, your people, and your say, tribe. You are continuing to rise. Don't forget. <laughs> but also, we all three worked on a web series that Javon introduced us to. Right. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's all about relationship building and maintaining those relationships. Did you guys all work on the was it Congo Theater? No, no, no. Um, this was this is with Signal Twenty Three TV. Um, Javon needed a wife one day and called me and was like, uh, Tracy, what you doing? And I was like, I remember that. I'm on my way to the dentist <laughs> or somewhere. I was going to the doctor and he was like, well, I need a wife on this web series. And I was like, well, if y'all are still there in a couple of hours, I'll come through. I came through. They were still there. And yeah, we shot the web series and I was able to build a relationship from there, Sharon came in. But that's the same story. I was minding my business. Devon, <laughs> text me. What you doing? <laughs> so t- I so, always be a wife. And, I, and I, he needed me to play a wife. And, wow. they, and they had, I was there by that afternoon. So let's take set. it back in time. Tell us, Javon. How, tell me. Tell our listeners and me as well, right? Mm-hmm. How did the three of you, how did these paths cross in the from the very beginning in the beginning? Well, Trace and I um, definitely start with Congo Square yep. uh, Theater Company. And is uh, Congo Square still going strong in, in Chicago? Well, we've been up a few times, but okay. we're we standing strong now. <laughs> As any organization, particularly right. a black organization, when we talk about that survival, learning how to survive, we as a company... Of black artists, young black artists, we definitely went through those trials of surviving, and we're still surviving. And still, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, the, the what matters most is the caliber of work that we're creating and giving to the people. So that's always takes precedence. And I can I just give props? Javon is a phenomenal writer. Yeah, like he is a beast of a writer. He's written plays and written movies. And I was in one of his shorts recently, and it's phenomenal. He is a phenomenal writer. You just remember the name Javon Johnson. We go see him in movies. We go see his play. He's phenomenal. I just wanted to say that. Thank you. I appreciate it. And how I was, was, it's a combination of relationships and um, networking is how we got to meet from 
indirectly from the Congo theater because yeah. one come of his good good friends Monifa and Will who what are good up, friends y'all? of mine yeah. Monifa and uh, Will were also founding you know, some of them phenomenal actors yes and they're friends of his so I through them that's how I met he because they you know co-signed no that's our friend and she's a good actor he yeah. just went off of that because of because of them and because they're so dope. Yeah. yeah, but it was relationship. I mean, the key thing—the key thing to know about this, as you as you navigate through this business, is that uh, reputation is everything, too. Because I didn't know Sharon mm-hmm. at all. Yeah, um, I'm not definitely didn't know her well enough to say that's what I want for the part. But I have a relationship with people whose words I trust, and yeah. so if you have great relationship with, with one person, that mm-hmm. one person could recommend you for something, and you can end up being employed. Yep. Or, or in a situation that can benefit you simply because you you work hard, you're professional, and you have a great reputation, yeah. and you know how to treat people. Yep. That's it. Absolutely. Relationships. Mm-hmm. And so you know, one thing I definitely want to hit before anyone has to depart us. Uh, or who may not make it back for our... I know we're going to take tomorrow off. We'll be back on Thursday. Who may not make it back for our Thursday episode. Uh, who are the influences out there that you really can, can say, you know, this is an artist or this is a writer. Or this is a, someone who's really influenced me and my work. And I want to give them some credit. I think my biggest influence outside of just uh, someone who just served... The, the position of mentorship and encouraging me along the way, but in the field of the arts, had to be um, August Wilson. Um, and the thing I said about August is that I met August before I met him, and that it was a, it was a real um, experience um, because coming from Anderson, South Carolina, there was no August Wilson. There was no there was no culture for none of this. That was I didn't know nothing about nothing. Mm, yeah. I went to South Carolina State University, and I end up being in Fences, and mm. I was playing the role of Corey. What wasn't at the university? It was at the Hilton Head Playhouse. The Sun. Yes, it was my first professional theater gig. And when I was in the production of Fences, playing Corey, I walked away from that experience saying, oh my God, I think I know what it means to be a black man. Mm. Wow. And I knew nothing about August Wilson. Woo, that's deep. Yeah. But it, it, whatever that was in his work changed my perspective about being a black man in America. And that's when I say I first met August Wilson. Mm. And then I would then meet him physically in person um, much later on, and, I, and, I, and, and at this time, I was writing, but I didn't know why I was writing. I was considering myself an actor. The, the writing stuff was happening organically, and it was happening spiritually, but I was in denial of it because I didn't think I was, I was worthy of writing anything. I didn't think I was smart enough to write anything. Um, and I met August, and he was standing in the lobby at Dartmouth College where he had just delivered his On the Ground in Which I Stand speech. And he was standing in the lobby, and uh, my roommate at the time, Derek Sanders, who was uh, also the uh, artistic director of Congo Sweat Theater Company, I said, I'm going to go here and introduce myself to August Wilson. And he had his new baby in his arm at the time. She's probably like three or four months years old, you know, mm-hmm. uh, not years old, but three months old. And um, I went up to August and I said, hey, uh, Mr. Wilson, just wanted to say I'm Javon Johnson, and I wanted you to know I'm the next best playwright to come out of Pittsburgh. And I walked away. And I came back and told him it was a running joke because everybody said, man, you threaten August Wilson. I said, I'm not threatening him. I just said, I'm not. <laughs> but, but they wouldn't let that go. I mean, it's but a threat. Claim but but I told them, at the time I yes. said it, I didn't believe it. Mm. But I said to myself, if I tell him that, I have to try it. I have to at least try to be that. And so it was really a trick on myself to take, because by that time I had written two or three plays and I didn't claim myself as a writer. And so it was really a trick on myself to charge myself to be accountable 
for whatever this thing God was sending through me that's mm. opening me up as an artist. And I made August responsible for that. Wow. And then, so, so after that, I remember sitting in Pittsburgh in my basement apartment and I was writing a piece of work and I went somewhere. I don't know where I went, but I was gone. And I, when I came out of it, I literally turned around in my room and I looked behind me because I thought August was standing there. And, and, I, and it, it was, I never had a moment like that. And I reread what I wrote, what was in front of me, and I said, I didn't write that. Mm. It was so August Wilson that I was like, that can't be what I wrote. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and, I, and when I edit the piece, I said, I'll never edit this monologue that's in this play because it was so August. But what, did, what it also did, it, it made me stop writing because I had to find my voice. And I told August uh, after that at the Edward Aubrey Theater Company conference in uh, Valdez, Alaska, I went up to him and I said, hey, listen, I'm having trouble with your influence on my work. It's so strong mm. that I feel like I can't write. And he said, uh, you know, when I, when I was, you know, we live in a society where label, we, we, we uh, acknowledge things by labels, things that already exist. And he said, when I came out, the O'Neills and things were there. People were comparing him to other people. And he said... Let all that go and just write your story and just mm-hmm. be honest with your story. So then I went away and wrote a play, wrote a, wrote a play called Handbone, which for me was a purging of his influence on my work. And that was when I did not police or edit any any influence. And I said, I'm going to purge his influence on me. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, honor it and I'm going to honor him. And then from that place on, the, what became what whatever I wrote after that was my journey to finding my own voice. And so that that's been my... August Wilson, he, he's been the extreme impact on me as an artist in that way. Mm. Wow, Sharon, I can't follow that. <laughs> Come on, give us, give us a, give us I your best. I haven't had a mentor like that per se, but someone who I feel is an idol and someone I would like to mold myself after is Debbie Allen. Mm-hmm. I think she's so underrated for her accomplishments. This woman started as a dancer. Not only started as a dancer, but she became a premier dancer, even though she was told she was too short. She was too black, mm-hmm. and she was from the South. And she went, this woman has done Broadway. She's been nominated for Tony. She choreographed the Oscars at one time. Then she parlayed that. She's an actress, a phenomenal actress. She's a phenomenal director. Mm-hmm. She's the one who's, who made A Different World what it was. Right? After yeah. that first season, they gave it to they, Debbie, and Debbie flipped that um, show and made it the... Truth. Juggernaut yeah. that yeah. it became to be. That still, it's still, still to young this people, day. Young black people to yeah. this day. This woman now is the main director on Grey's Anatomy, yeah. which she's always also acting in, and that's yeah. what it's like. You know, people think they need to be in certain boxes. Like I am a writer, director, actress, producer. I'm all that, and she's my inspiration. Like you know, when people are like, oh, you got to choose one lane, you got to do one thing. No, Debbie Allen didn't. And yeah. she's doing it. And she's still, you know, she's, she's directing Grace Anatomy, one of the longest running shows on TV. And she still, you know, acts on it sometimes. That's, you know? a, that's a lot of old school And thoughts. she runs a dance school where yeah. she mentors young kids. Absolutely. There's also you know? a lot of old school thoughts and approach to this. Uh, like, you know, choose one thing. You know, uh, yeah. But but here's my, my, my again, my philosophy. Because, <laughs> um, you know, you have the, uh, the whole like, jack of all trades and master of none. Um, there is some truth in that. However, I say yes. anything. I say if you got, don't just load your business card with five titles. Yes. And then you say I'm a I'm a comedian, and then I see a work, and I'm like I ain't I ain't laughing one joke. Yeah. Put things on your title. On put those titles there. If you measure, if they make you look good, mm-hmm. if you can honor those titles, then put three or four titles on there. But if you got one title that you shaky at and ain't really not fully developed there, you're not. Don't try to force the situation. That's why it's going to show itself. 
eventually. That's why I would not put director on my thing because I, you know. I just have not done it. You right. know what I'm saying? Enough. And it may not be your passion. It's not it's everyone's like, passion. Yeah, and it's not. So people are like, why don't you be a director? It's like, because I'm not, that's not, I know my lane. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So thank you for saying that to the yeah. people. Mm-hmm. And Tracy, what would be, you know, an influence that you would share? Well, Debbie Allen, uh, of course, but my all-time favorite is Jennifer Lewis. I mean, really? she was, oh my God. Oh, she does have a rich history. Oh my know. God. Yeah. Because, yeah. I have an old spirit. And she plays everybody mama. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I play everybody mama. <laughs> but she was able to accept that at a younger age. Yes. And she's a cancer just like you. You know how we do. <laughs> and so she was able to accept that and parlay that into longevity. And I think that's the thing that a lot of actors, I don't want to be put in a box and I don't want to, yes. none of us do. Yes. But she was able to to do this one thing and so she could create her own stuff where she, she's had her own YouTube show, mm-hmm. she writes her own music, she's done Broadway. She was, but with, she was with um, Bette Midler for years. For years. So yeah. she was able to branch out. A lot of people don't know that, but mm-hmm. she built a career. Same with Loretta Devine. She's played everybody's mama. Mm-hmm. But they were able to accept this thing that is great about them and build a long career. Humility is everything in this business. And, and the thing is, in piggyback, I remember her talking about how she she auditioned for What's Love Got to Do It to play Tina Turner. Yeah. And she ended up playing her mama. mama. <laughs> now, <laughs> she's younger than um, Angela Bassett. She, she she's like a year younger. younger. I'm just saying, well, no matter, even if she's like, Around, she's around, they're around the same mm-hmm. age, mm-hmm. so she humbled herself. Like you know, what this is gonna be a good role. Just age me. I'm gonna play her mama. I came in to play Tina, and they got me playing her mama. Mm-hmm. But you know what? She did a great job. People loved her. It was a big hit movie, mm-hmm. and she keeps working, and she still looks the same age. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's another thing, guys. When you are audition auditioning for a role, you may not book that role, but the director yep. will see a role in the script and say, "You know what? I like that Sharon." Brathwaite, let's let's just call her, offer her this role here. That happened. You that know, happened to me. Mm-hmm. and that that happens all the time. So you always want to put your best foot forward in your auditions because you just never know. You build a relationship in the audition room, and I'll, you don't even know. I auditioned for Think Like a Man, and um, I auditioned for, and I went to producer for the role that Tika Sumter played. It ended up getting. There was a small role. I ended up getting a bigger role. I got offered a role in an audition for. See, I was like, for real. Yeah, playing uh, nephew Tommy's wife. I love. But I didn't audition for that role. I love how that works. Yeah. So you know, we talked a little bit about the change in our country on yesterday's episode, and you know, I think a, a sad piece of news that came out last week is it, you know that kind of reflects the rise in I, I want I don't want to say hatred, but that's what it is. Nicole Poole Franklin admitted to, to to running over, hitting a young girl, 14 years old, because she was Mexican. Specifically because she was Mexican. She had, you know, this woman had smoked meth and then went on a, like, and plowed down a 14-year-old girl mm-hmm. in Iowa, in Desmond, because she was, she said, I hit her because she was Mexican. Yeah. I, mean, that's, 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 I haven't heard this until now, but that's, wow. I'm not shocked by it. I'm not, you know, uh, I, I'll, I'll say this, man. Uh, <laughs> this might be crazy to say for the listeners. But America is mentally ill. Mm-hmm. And we have not diagnosed ourselves with being bipolar and, and all these things. We have not di- di- diagnosed the country properly. And that 
behavior is a reflection of the mental illness of this country. Yeah. Because we have not dealt with the source of why we are living in madness. And what would you say is that source? Oh, it's definitely uh, racism. It's yeah. racism, racism at the, racism heart, at the, at the heart of, it. of our racism. country. So we don't know how to deal with it now. We're not properly medicated. We're not properly diagnosed. So then these behaviors come. So what do we need? We needed meth just to free what's already embedded in our psyche. She was just being honest to who she is mm-hmm. as an American. Mm-hmm. But when you have a president, our leader, blaming Mexicans for being rapists, thieves, murderers, and basically talking about like they're dirt when the Mexicans are the ones in the field feeding your family and washing your kids and, and mm-hmm. keeping that, that level of servitude in this country going. Um, you have this president who is, who is basically telling his, 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 um, his, his base, with his base mm-hmm. these people are evil. These people are taking your jobs. Mm-hmm. These people are, 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 are coming over the border. So these, these things are, are, are seeping his, these his, people's his, psyche his, his and yeah. they think Trump, they're the enemy. Trump, Trump yeah. is just the, 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 the good and evil of Trump. The great thing I like about Trump, which is not a good thing, is that he just put a voice on what was already there. Yeah. Right. He's just speaking what Mm -hmm. we already been walking in silently. Because if you go back to the the hoods and the capes, well, Trump is just a face and ain't afraid to say it. Yeah. Right? And so now people, he's just outing (laughs) what's already been lying dormant and we've been walking in that for centuries and centuries Mm -hmm. and not been dealing with it. Look at Charlottesville. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So that stuff is... It's just coming to the surface now at this point. So mm-hmm. it, we, we just need to look at America in a real way and say we are a sick country. For mm-hmm. well, all those and people who, when Obama was in office, like, oh, look, we have a black president. Racism right, but those are the exist. same people. Those yeah. are the same people that look at them. And, you know, it's, it's not that Mexicans are rapists and thieves. People are. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Human beings. We, you know, we, we are who we are. And so it's not a specific thing to, to, to race or gender or any of that stuff. It's like that's that's human that's the that's the human race. But that's him going to his base and making them live in fear. Mm-hmm. That's what he's doing. It's a game he's playing. It, it, I agree. But I, that fear too. Again, he's just putting a voice on it. He's activating it. But that fear has been there since the time of conquering the world. Since that that fear of I have to take from you, so that I can enforce my power over you because without it, I'm afraid. And without it, I'm no longer the majority. I'm not, I'm not in control. Because my existence is in jeopardy. But it's to give somebody that's blame right. for my troubles. Oh, yeah. that's why I'm not working. Oh, that's why I don't have money. No, you're not yeah. working because you know what? Maybe you're not qualified for that job. But maybe yeah. you need to work harder to get this job or, or whatever. People want to give blame. Like, okay, this is why I'm on welfare. This is why I'm not getting anything. This is why. And I'm tired of, just on the side, I'm tired of getting... Mm. Black people and Spanish people being blamed for being the most on welfare. White people are the majority on welfare. Yes. And I, and it's so crazy that, you know, you get the stigmatism with the, the black welfare mother sitting on her butt or this Mexican women doing all. It's like, no, white people are the majority on welfare. They're and feeling it, real yeah. soon because that baby wrote another executive order about food stamps and they'll feel it when they are not eating anything. That's right, when it, mm-hmm. it changes. There was a beautiful issue of the Atlantic magazine. It, is, it really is my favorite magazine. And in the Atlantic, they did a deep dive, and you will love it as, as a history person. I mean, you will love this magazine. It's the newest issue out. 
It has a red and white and blue cover. And they really do a deep exposition of America now, where we are in 2019 as we get ready to go on to a new decade. And they look very deeply at 2010 to 2020. And they talk about this really is the end of the Republican Party. And this is really the end of America's white majority. And they do a great job of talking about it. And this is a horrible time to live in, mm-hmm. but it is going to go down in history as the last stand. Mm-hmm. This is the end. It's, and they talked about it in 2000. Somebody wrote a, a great essay in maybe 2002 or 2005. I can't get the exact, I don't recall the exact year that said, and it pointed out by 2040, this will be a black and brown majority nation. Mm-hmm. And Hispanic Americans, Latino Americans are going to have the lot. The, they're going to have the power. They will be the majority. They will have the right to control. They will vote in mass numbers. And it was about who are they going to vote for? Mm-hmm. They were open source. Republicans could have fought for them. Democrats could have fought for them. And where they would land, no one knew at that time when that great essay was written. But instead of saying, we're going to focus in and make these citizens our part of our party, Republicans said, we're going to get them out of here. Mm-hmm. And that's what this has been a slow push towards, is getting them out, getting them removed, and silencing them. So it's a, and so the article talks about this is a concerted effort by Republicans and people like President Trump, white nationalists, to one, remove the brown people from the nation and limit them and then oppress the black people in the nation because it's been proven that we can be oppressed, that we will be silenced, that we will not vote. So therefore, it's a whole entire systemic push. And that's what all of this is about. However, the article is saying it will fail in the end. Mm-hmm. That it's an uncomfortable time, it's a sad time, but ultimately it will it will end. But in that time frame, all this hatred is bubbling up to the surface and all these oppressed thoughts or silenced thoughts are coming out and people are being way more brazen and bold to do things like try to run over an innocent 14-year-old girl on the streets uh, of Iowa. Well, I, I will say this. I think there's more to come, unfortunately. And I do think that we need to, to prepare. We need to get guns, license to carry guns. I do believe this. We need tasers and some mace and whatever else you need to protect yourself because there are more people. I I, I just. Who are not mentally stable, who are hearing the rhetoric, who are going to take action against black and brown people, LGBTQIA plus people. Jewish people out of hate. Yeah. And that's Absolutely. so heartbreaking I that we're living like that in 2019. How many places I go to and it's a crowd and I stop and say, someone could walk in here at any moment and shoot us up while but we're Tracy, having a good time. Could we not pray it away? Could we not Absolutely turn to the Lord? You can't. And that's why my mom and I had a disagreement. No, you cannot. Jesus pray can Let me tell it. you why. Let me tell the you love why. Love can run no, out the hate. The Columbine issue. Uh, remember that Columbine I'll situation? I'll never forget. One, never of, forget. one of the young ladies, 14 year old, year old girl was asked, do you still believe in Jesus? And she said, absolutely, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ. And the boy shot her in her head. So no matter how many times she called on Jesus and prayed and believed in, in him, this sick boy was able to kill her. So I'm but guess saying... What? But guess what? Let me tell you what I believe about that. That's a, I'm so glad you said that, Tracy. You're right. She admitted her faith. Let me tell you something. No matter what... Her life was going to end that day because that was her, the number of years and the order steps God had given her. That had she could have lost her life in a hurricane, she could have lost her life in a car accident, uh-huh. she could have lost her life to cancer. 
But God gave her the chance to stand up for him and be a martyr for the faith and to expand his kingdom on earth publicly. So she was going to lose her life no matter what, but God gave her a choice and she made the right choice. So now she continues on beyond an everlasting life while her legacy endures to this day. And we talk about it on this podcast. And I think it's just God's amazing grace that she was given that opportunity. Because no matter what, when your time has come, your time has come. Well, but she walks in a bigger here, purpose. Here, here. So it's not that hate won that day. It's that her faith won that day. And here's the other thing too. It's always about not leaning not on your own understanding because you never know the wow. work, how God is working in terms of the totality of all existence as mm-hmm. people on this planet, there's certain things that he may need to happen in order for, in order for us to, you know, to, to serve his work. And we, we, we by no means, and all other mental capacity, can even think that we can even figure that out. That's why I said the Lord works in mysterious ways. You don't know, this, this triggered this, that triggered this, that triggered this, that triggered this. It's going to be a chain reaction of things. If someone heard this and heard this story, how it affected them, how it affected their belief, in mm. God and Jesus, and you don't know the impact you're having or the impact a situation is having on someone in the next, and that and that is in the name of God. You know what, Sharon? And when you say the Lord works in mysterious ways, some people say that ASAP Rocky also moves in mysterious ways. <laughs> just this week, just this week, ASAP Rocky had a sex tape that was released. And mm-hmm. on the sex tape, they moved in mysterious ways. Yes, and it wasn't in. It was just being highly criticized as not being the best way to move. It was a womp 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 sex tape. Now, ASAP Rocky was there music playing. Uh, you know what? To the groove. Can we see the? There what? There was. Can you play the sex tape? Can, the evidence, can y'all show it to us real quick? <laughs> as a public school educator and a covenant Christian man, yeah. I cannot show you that sex tape. I have not admitted or you, said I have watched that. However, Black, Black Twitter. Can you reenact with your fingers? Black Twitter. <laughs> we have all the has, facts. The Black Twitter influence. has spoken and they have said two things. He is not packing and he does not know how to work pump. with what he, he has. ASAP Rocky is very, has come out saying that this is not a reflection of him and his sexual prowess. He is known for his uh, sexual stamina and he feels as though this is not a good representation of who he is and that there are many satisfied women all across America who can vouch for it. <laughs> he says in his 31 years he has a number of people <laughs> that can support him in saying this is not a good reflection of him and his manhood. Well, I think he should follow up with a documentary like Surviving R. Kelly <laughs> to, to show us he should have vouching for ASAP documentary. Nope. They have all these 30 of these women. ASAP Rocky is now known <laughs> as Lil Pump. <laughs> Tracy, did you, have you seen the video? I'm looking for his next big album. I tried to go find it and couldn't. They took it down. But the Twitter response was it was brutal. Are we ASAP Rocky fans here or? No, I'm not. Not, not. I, I was. I will okay. say I like his music. I like his flow. I like his delivery. I, I started to like him as an actor. I started seeing him pop up on film. He was he was on Dope. I liked him in Dope. He was really good in Dope. And uh, I was like, oh, this he kid was, is really gonna. Dope. He was dope and dope. Uh, I, I was like, this kid is really gonna be something. But then when I found out what he said. You know about black women and stuff. I kind of, I had to kind of, you know, pull back, pull back a little bit because Absolutely. I can't support someone who feels negatively about us. 
Absolutely. That's it on that on that. Mm-hmm. And there was another leak this week. What was it? There was something else that was leaked, Tracy. I mean, you what? showed it to me at brunch. I forget who. Some celebrity. That no. Was not a celebrity. That was a person that we knew at the gym. Oh, oh, oh. moving on from there. <laughs> I thought y'all talking so about Javon what? Johnson on the overview. Uh, so it's not a celebrity. <laughs> no. But I saw a little celebrity status. Oh and on that note. Merry Christmas to all of our listeners. We hope that tomorrow is a blessed day for you as we, the whole world, celebrates the birth of our risen Savior. And with that said, we will check back with you. Yes. Hey, if you if you're in the uh, surrounding area of Liberty, South Carolina, we're doing my show "When Love Calls Your Name" January the 11th, 3 p.m. When Love Calls Your Name, and that's when 3 p.m. and 8 p.m. January the Saturday, January the 11th. Where? In Liberty, South Carolina, it's at the Pickens Arts Performing. Center. So how far is that from Atlanta? Uh, it's about two hours, 15 minutes. We may need to carpool up, people. Road trip. That's a great yes. reason to hit the road for a road trip to see the show. Now, are you in the show? Are you, are you, or tell, uh, just tell us about the show. Cue us up. I, I am writer, director, and producer on this show. All right. Oh. And uh, part, of, part of the cast are Atlanta actors, and part of the cast are local South Carolina wow. actors. And we are going to talk more about the show on Thursday. Check us out as we get ready to kick off a brand new year. We will, you will hear from us soon. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. Much love. Happy Kwanzaa.